listening to episode 298 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. Uh, how you doing on this warm spring evening? I actually had to turn the AC on upstairs. Uh-oh. We already turned the AC on that? Yeah. Still holding off on the AC, but uh, yeah, it's finally got some warm weather out there. It's nice. But uh, I haven't really been able to enjoy it. I've just been running from one thing to the other because my my wife's out of town. Um, one of our friends from high school uh, has got breast cancer, and she just uh, got her operation last Thursday or Friday, I think. So, um, so my wife went up to uh, go and take care of her for a couple of days. Uh, she's got you know a couple of people like um, scheduled to you know help out. help her out and everything. So. So yeah, so I'm a uh, enjoying the single parent lifestyle uh, right now, which is just awesome. <laughs> Get the hell in your rooms, which and is leave why we have to record later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen. In, in terms of news, I mean, this really isn't news, but uh, I, I figured I'll, I'll put it up front tonight. And, you know, we've mentioned about our Patreon patrons and, and, you know, what we're offering as a little bit of a reward, a thank you. And uh, Fred, who who is one of our patrons, took us up on the top 10 list. And, you know, I'm not sure what I expected, how I expected it to go. But but what Fred did was sent us and and he covers this in his feedback. So we won't talk about it later, but but he will mention it. He gave us 10 things, movies and TV shows that he'd like us to discuss. So that's what we're going to do. And I, I think at this point, probably between the two of us, we've seen them all. And certainly ones that I haven't seen, I'm, I'm going to try to. And, and the first one on his list, and I don't know if he has these in order of his preference or whatever, but uh, the 97 film Gattaca which yeah. I, feel, I feel like I saw it, but I can't remember. It is uh, on for free on the service Crackle, which is, I believe, a Sony product. And you can, you, know, you can get it on your computer. You can get an app for it, and it's definitely free. He's got all three Divergent films, Divergent, Insurgent, and Allegiant. Uh, I have seen those, and, and strangely enough, those are movies that I read the books before and i'm pretty sure you read the books right i did they were terrible <laughs> yeah, well i liked the first one they got the first one was good. Yeah, yeah and the second one was pretty good the third one not so much now the next on his list is avatar which is a movie i've tried several times to like i suspect you've seen it because you have kids oh yeah but we when the avatar came out we didn't see it with the kids oh okay but yeah but yeah we definitely we definitely saw it for sure Okay. Uh, a movie that I, I don't know that I've ever heard of it, 2008 Doomsday, and he says, I have an absolute crush on Rona Mitra, and he gives a photograph of her, and Fred, I've got a crush on her too, so we'll definitely talk <laughs> about that one. Now, yeah. uh, um, a movie, and, and I assume it's based on the series, and I, I know a lot of listeners have brought the Thunderbirds phenomenon up, and, and I really had barely heard of. I've not seen any. Apparently, the 2004 film is directed by Jonathan Frakes. So, you know, I'm going to take a look at that. Have you seen that? I've not seen the movie. I kind of, 
I, I think Thunderbirds was one of those cartoons that was just slightly too young for me. I was probably like maybe, you know, 14 or 15, I would say, when it came out. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But I just feel like that's one of the ones I didn't really watch because I began to see that as kid stuff. Okay. Air quotes. Um, okay. So and I've never seen the movie. So. Okay. And then he finishes up his list with defiance and, and he says the whole series or the pilot um and and these are shows that i've certainly seen the entire series i assume you've seen all of defiance yeah. yes okay yeah oh yeah yeah uh killjoys yeah which is still running and i cover for den of geek so that's certainly one that uh, i'm loving and and the crossing which is an interesting new show i don't believe it got renewed but uh, apparently and i don't know if you've seen Fred any what's that uh, from what Fred said there, it looks like uh, it did not get uh, renewed. Okay. But uh, so, Fred, we will do our best to get prepared, get uh, these covered for you. It might, it might take us a little while because I want to you know, make sure that, that we can converse intelligently on them. But, hey, yeah, great that's list. A lot Looking of stuff forward to, to it. a lot of stuff to watch, so it's going to take a while, well, yeah. Well, again, I mean, some of them we've already seen. I'm not going to rewatch. True. Uh, right. defiance and you know i'm just, not rewatching kind of, defiance right? <laughs> uh, as much as i liked it, it i think yeah yeah so I, actually yeah. i probably still have notes on it somewhere but uh anyway um so my tip of the week this time you know i've mentioned my love of historical scripted dramas uh, i mentioned most recently the borgias which uh, centered around pope alexander the sixth played by jeremy irons and his papacy, which ran from 1492 to 1503, and I mean, certainly shows like Vikings, uh, Nightfall, which I'm currently watching now. But I stumbled on the 2015 HBO series, The Young Pope, starring Jude Law as mm-hmm. Pope Pius XIII and Diane Keaton as Sister Mary. Have you seen any of this? I haven't seen it. No, I remember when it came out, but the the, the traditional Catholic boy in me was a little resistant, I guess, <laughs> to watch well, that. So. I, well, I wonder what the Catholic Review had to say about it. And it's certainly fictional because Pope Pius XIII is the first American pope, and there still has not been an American pope. And actually, I looked it up. There's only been one English-speaking pope in you know the hundreds of years that they've had popes, and, and he was from right. England. But it, it follows his character... Uh, and, and Diane Keaton's character, who is the nun that raised him during his time at an orphanage after his parents abandoned him there when he was around seven or eight years old. And, and his parents are portrayed as just these hippies that, for whatever reason we, we don't know, just left him there. And he sets out to turn the Vatican and the Catholic faithful on their heads with ultra-conservative proclamations and the fact that he refuses to appear in public or be photographed. So he's just this enigma in addition to being an American and nobody can figure out what the hell he's all about. And what I would tell you is if this is the kind of show that you're maybe interested in, the first episode is really rough. I was kind of about ready to quit after the first episode because it, I wasn't sure if it was trying to be funny or or not, but episode two it really kicks in, and, and and it's a serious drama. And and you know what I mentioned? I wonder what the Catholic Review feels about it. I mean, if anything, 
they probably feel he's too rigid, not permiss- you know, not too permissive. No. So it, it's, See, I thought it was kind of like the other way around that it was like about this, you know, guy comes in and he's like, I thought it's going to be kind of like the Borgias in the contemporary world, you know. Right. And, and it certainly discusses and follows the politics, you know, within the Vatican and even within the process of choosing a pope. But it, it also looks at this young man. And when I say young, he's, I think, supposed to be 47 in this show, who's desperate to come to terms with his childhood and, and the question that orphans like him have, why would my parents abandon me? And it really turned out to be good. It has been renewed for a second season, which I think is supposed to drop sometime in 2019. So it's called The Young Pope on HBO. All right. What do you got? So I got something. I actually was listening to you and Mike talk about anthologies. And Mike mentioned it very briefly. And that is Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, this is actually my son. You know, basically goaded me into watching this. He just was like, "Have you watched it yet? Have you watched it yet?" And so, you know, so it's funny because he, he was just home for like basically Saturday night, and we pretty much watched the whole season then <laughs> because they're all like between five and fifteen minutes long. These animated anthologies, uh, animated shorts that, um, you know, it's again like it's funny that like you and Mike said how um, it's like. You know, black, how you compare everything to Black Mirror. And so, like, the way Sean describes, like, well, it's kind of like Black Mirror, except with cartoons. I'm like, oh, all right. I'm with you there. So it was uh, pretty good. I, I, I liked it. There were maybe some, there were definitely some major hit times. There were some, a couple misses, maybe here and there, some misfires. For the most part, they were pretty good. And some that I really wished had more development, you know, could, like thinking like 15 minutes isn't long enough. You know, I, I wish that they had made more of a story of this because like, you know, some of these, they could really go uh, with it. But uh, for the most part, the animation is excellent. It's, you know, a different production team does each one. So they are vastly different from one another. Uh, I would just warn you if you plan to watch it with the kids, cause you think it's a cartoon. Don't. Um, there is, there is loads of nudity. Uh, there is a really, uh, fairly graphic sex scene in one of them. And the, the violence is pretty much, there's all of them are, are, are pretty violent. Um, right. And, and your son is what a junior in high school? No, he's a freshman in college. Oh, that son. Okay. I wasn't yeah, sure it's the older one. You, it's the oh, older okay. one. Yeah. And, and your wife was. I would right, probably so let. I mean, Brendan's a, a sophomore. I'd probably let him watch it too. Yeah. He probably already has. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know. He just watches Rick and Morty, so I don't know if he watches <laughs> anything else. Um. So yeah, I mean, like, really highly recommended. It was, and, and like I said, you could watch. I I watched it basically in two nights. I think. Yeah, and, and you don't have to watch them in any particular order. So. No, not at all. In fact, I didn't uh, because I guess we I watched a couple. Actually, I watched a couple of the night before my my son came home. He came home and he just you he showed oh well, you gotta watch this one you gotta watch this one you gotta watch this one. So he was playing them just completely out of order, 
And then, so when I went to watch the rest that I hadn't watched yet, um, Netflix just feeds them to you, I guess, I think, I guess in the order, but it skips over the ones you've already seen. Yeah, it was definitely kind of random order I saw them in. But yeah, I liked it a lot. Cool. All right, cool. So. All right, well, maybe not quite as cool. The uh, episode four of season one, The World in the Walls of the Magicians. Yeah, not nearly. <laughs> written by John McNamara, who wrote episode 101 with a co-creator and co or like, I, I think I said before, they, they didn't really create it. They, they adapted the, the novel, but they are the showrunners, he and Sarah Gamble, directed by James L. Conway, who has directed episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, and now the series that... Uh, Fans of Star Trek seem to have a love-hate relationship with, and that is the Orville. And this one aired February 8th, 2016. Dude, right. I, I don't know how I yeah. really feel about this episode. That means you don't like it. You're just trying I, to be nice. I don't like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, I there, were like things, <laughs> there were things I did like about it. And, and it's funny because I, I was talking to Michael earlier, and, and he covers the magicians for Den of Geek. And he went back and looked at his review for this particular episode and he gave it two and a half stars out of five and mentioned to me that he was thinking like oh my god what have i gotten myself into agreeing (laughs) to cover this because because he had read the book i feel that (laughs) i feel that uh, i've also been told by a number of people just relax it'll get better so that said, uh, one of the things that we do have in this episode is a series of extended scenes that don't depend on all of these rapid edits, which I mentioned many times. I really like that. You, you don't want it all the time, but this whole dream sequence in a mental hospital, it, it really is a trope and, and one that... that immediately comes to my mind and i know you haven't seen it but is the buffy the vampire slayer episode normal again in season six but uh, and and i haven't seen this one the, there's a star trek next generation episode called frame of mind and i believe it's Riker that mm-hmm. is yeah i can't remember that in the dream slash mental institution but there have been a lot of tv shows that have all used this concept where the characters led to believe that everything in the series has been a dream and they've really been a patient in a psych ward all the time, which, okay. You know, if, if they'd use that for half the episode, maybe, and I I get what they're doing with it. I mean, I, I I get that it, it gives us more insight into Marina it gives us more insight into Katie and Julia, but still, uh, yep. just just didn't like it. I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, yeah, it is a complete trope, right? Like you think almost every episode where the character is being, like you said, um, I mean, like Legion, just for for one, comes to mind. Uh, I think there isn't. Like Fringe, isn't there part of that? I was I was just gonna look that oh, up. Oh, that was it. Brown Betty is that the episode? Uh, I, I think uh, although th- yeah. that kind of came across as like a, a, a LSD trip dream kind of vibe or whatever. Right, but, but still, but yeah, same know, thing. Basically, the, the same thing. You know, like 
you know, you're in a different reality. It's not the reality you know, you knew before. And so you're in a mental institution and people are telling you you're crazy. And you're right. It is a, uh, a complete and utter, you know, trope, which again, I'm not 100% against, but I think, like you said, like having it there the whole time and making the, you know, like, uh, like the whole point of it to for to be for you know Quentin to break out of it and everything. I mean that it, I don't know. Well, there were some fringe, okay elements to it, but there was a lot of not okay. Well, Fringe, as you mentioned, I don't think it was until the third or fourth season that they did that. Buffy didn't do it till its sixth season. Same with Next Generation. To do it in your fourth episode, that takes yeah. balls. And yeah, oh, well, that, you know, if, if I'm watching this in its first season, I'm like, really, they've gone there already. Are, are they going to be having uh, Quentin trying to jump over a shark by episode 10? You know? Right. And, and, and certainly doing a musical episode seems to be de, de rigueur these days. And, and I hardly call this one a musical episode, but but there is a little bit of singing. And and in the context that we see it, I'm OK with it. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But oh, I will be posting Taylor Swift's Shake It Up video to, nice. uh, to Facebook on Friday. Nice. All right. <laughs> shake so, it off. Uh, I mean, shake it off. Now, one of the questions, I mean, are we in the middle of a magic war between the classically trained magicians at Breakbills and the hedge witches led by Marina and Pete? I mean, that seems kind of what Marina even wants is to start a war. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, Well, you know, we find out that all of this stuff was just so she could get her memories back, you know, which is fair enough. That's that's all right. Okay good on you there but um but yeah i I think um you know before i had speculated that the hedge witches were really just kind of like a another and you know i still kind of think that they probably have more in common with the break bills people than not and that ultimately when they're you know facing with this beast you know they're, they're gonna have to work together i'm thinking at some point but right now, it doesn't seem like that is even possible at all. Like well, It does no. seem like, at this point, they're at war with one another. Right. Now, you mentioned Marina wanting to get her memories back. And, of course, we learned that she got kicked out of break bills three months before she was due to graduate. So, of course, that's a question that, that's still looming by the end of this episode, why she was kicked out. And, you know, we see Julia versus quentin so to speak we don't know whether marina played on the uh, you know envy jealousy whatever julia's experiencing betrayal uh, you know probably because he he never talked her up at at break bills to get a second chance but it's almost as if the two of them represent the two sides that are going at each other yeah one of the questions that I guess we can talk about as we go along is whether or not Julia's redeemable after this act, because the fact that she says, well, I just wanted to mess with him a little bit. No, sorry, dear. That's not good enough. Yeah. You know, if you don't have some idea of who you're dealing with in Marina, as Katie tells her, she's psycho. And I don't know how you couldn't get, a sense that something's a bit off 
with her? Well, I mean, she was getting the tattoos, right? So she was where she wanted to be. She was accepted into a magical community, which is what she had always wanted from the first. And so I think she just kind of ignored all the other stuff. And ultimately, we find out that she was just completely in over her head and um, you know, was not really fit to be either a Breakbills kid or a um, hedge witch either. Right. Now, he, Quentin, that is, it, at least seems to recognize what's happening fairly early on in the episode. And I wonder whether that's the writers not being totally confident in taking this approach so that we better let the audience know this is what we're doing. And then we learned that it's actually a spell that Marina and Julia you know, ha- have put into action. So, you know, there is that. But one of the things that I was wondering about, and, and I think I kind of know now after watching it a second time, is it seems as if they're able to direct the nightmare in Quentin's head. So I, I guess it looks like Julia enters his dream state, I, I guess. Right, yes. Because and, she's, like, laughing at him, right? Well, he thinks she is. I, I don't I don't think she really was, right? Didn't she just sort of, like, flicker out or something? And he... Yeah, she, like, you know, I don't know what you would call it. Yeah, like, face, but we could see, like, her briefly, like, her face laughing, kind of, like, I guess, like, phasing or something. I don't know what you would call it, but he recognizes something's definitely weird going on there and he recognizes that right now penny and he seems to be the key and quentin recognizes that penny will be the key so i i I guess the idea is that penny's able to enter quentin's dream because he can hear what people are thinking and quentin understands that so he calls to penny and again, not not that there aren't some highlights to this episode, but Quentin's decision to sing the Taylor Swift song to get Penny's attention, that's an A in my book. Now, I mean, the episode doesn't get an A, but with that particular detail. Right. That that scene was good. That was a, a very funny, clever scene. And, um, you know, if nothing else, because, you know, went along with last week where, you know, Penny you know, threatened to harm Quentin for, you know, singing Taylor Swift in his head. So he knew that would, you know, bring Penny running. Right, and it does. So now, obviously, there's going to be some bleed through on the storylines, but but let's go and talk about Julia and, and Marina and their decision to take on brake bills. Now, granted, this is really Marina's decision, and as you said, Julia is getting, I guess, some acceptance here. She's getting some validation for who she is and what she can do in the world of magic. So it's understandable that she's going to follow along. And, and, and I agree with you there. But we see them standing in a forest and that saying that Marina says to Julia, bigger, better magic and immediately we get a sense that her intentions may be totally different from Julia's. We don't see Pete at all in this episode, right? Um, 
I feel like maybe he was in like the 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 scene where you know we see them kind of uh, um, casting their spell or whatever. Uh, I don't, but I don't know. Yeah, he certainly didn't have any big part of it. Yeah, just in the background, right? Right. So as far as Julia's concerned, they're creating a spell just to mess with Quentin because she's still upset. She does feel betrayed by him. And she really shouldn't. We understand. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We understand he's a freshman at a new school. He's not going to go in and tell the coach who should be on the team, who should be playing, who should be cut. Of course not. So she really needs to understand why he didn't do that. That said, the spell called Scarlatti Web and Fog has to be brought into uh, you know the situation because it, it quickly gets out of hand for even these advanced students and he mentions that they need to summon the Materese. is the Materese that person conducting the spell is it the little mechanical scorpion yeah back in the day i would have done a uh, project x on that but uh back in the day i wasn't taking care of three kids on my own for the yeah, next couple days so right but uh, what I did. Yeah, like, I don't, I'm though, not sure. I, I I feel like it was just the the bug, maybe. Okay, and, and that's kind of where I would go as well. But you gotta love the. I think it was a guy that that was conducting the spell. Doesn't speak. Just stands off to the side. Does his thing with the hand motions and the mechanical scorpion goes right down Quentin's mouth. He doesn't seem to be in any distress, and we're all like. Oh, again, that was a pretty yeah. cool scene. I mean, again, uh, maybe not an A scene, but but that was still enjoyable. But what we quickly learn is that that really what this is all about is Marina gambling that she knows how Dean Fogg is going to react to each of these incidents. And she's correct all along. And what she suspects is going to happen is that Dean Fogg's going to have to disable the wards and the security devices protecting brake bills, which is, of course, what he does, so that she and Julia can get in. And as you said, she goes to retrieve her stored memories because she says that when you've gotten that far in the brake bills curriculum, it's virtually impossible to completely wipe your mind. Mm -hmm. So she knows there's a lot that she should know that she doesn't and that's what she's after all right but you um, know which i don't know i mean that's uh, you know a part of this also is thinking you know why do they need to why don't they take quentin to like somewhere outside the school rather than disabling all the school security you know like just things i know that's being nitpicky but it just seems like that is a very extreme measure that they they had to take well, especially when you understand that somebody has cast this spell on him, so there's somebody out there that is your adversary or is at least the adversary of one of your students. So, yeah, you would think discretion would be the better part of valor here, but again, that said, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll defer to Dean Fogg's ex- expertise in the world of magic, but it it's just seems to be, as Marina says, we're, we're here to steal their shit. 
Now, granted, right. it really relates to her, and I guess we could get into that argument that if you create something at work, who actually owns it? Does the boss who's paying you own it because you're on his or her payroll, or do you own it because you created it? Regardless, they, they don't get that deep into that argument. Right. But, uh, but certainly but that yeah, question... Like, I, I was just like at this point, I just, I, you know, because I, <clears throat> I have been pretty critical of the way Break Bills does things, and I'm not going to necessarily 100% back off of this, but I think you know one thing that this episode did show us, which we've actually kind of seen already, is that you are really able to get in over your head with magic, and that can be extremely dangerous. So, Break Bills safeguarding and you know securing that information seems like, you know, something only natural, I guess, though it goes against basic human rights and liberties, it seems, to, you know, steal a person's memories like that. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned what what you just said, and I want to go ahead and even jump to the end because this seems to be a perfect segue. And after everything's over, Dean Fogg calls Quentin in for a chat and and he tells him, you know, magic does not solve problems. And Quentin almost defiantly tells Fogg that I need to learn magic so I can decide what's what. And I'm thinking like, wait, what? A 21 year old knows enough to decide something like this. Really? Could I dislike him any more? But (laughs) apparently that's what Dean kids. Well, but, that's apparently what Dean Fogg wanted to hear out of him. And then I'm thinking like, wait, what? Dude, you're the adult. How how can you think like this? But so I, I don't know if I missed something along the way, but that was an issue for me there at the end. I mean, uh, this is yeah, I mean, powerful I, magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just took it that, you know, Quentin's finally taking that step beyond being just a aw shucks, you know, kind of eyes wide open uh, newbie at the school to actually reaching a level of maturity and confidence that he can begin to actually learn these spells maybe. Well, right, but he also understands that A, Julia didn't, cast this spell by herself you know he he certainly is smart enough to figure that out but he also knows that quentin along with alice are really the ones that conjured up the beast in the first place so it's not exactly like quentin has a track record here so to take that approach just doesn't seem to make sense to me if anything i would be reading him the riot act and you know, maybe sending him back to, to retake a course that he needs to retake. I don't know. Uh, just, well, I mean, this I mean, this isn't his fault, though, this time. He wasn't poking around and messing around with anything. Well, I understand that. But just that attitude that I, I know what's what. And you really don't. And Well, you know, when Chris Spielman was a, a, a freshman at Ohio State, his first game, he just stalked right behind the coach, screaming, put me in, put me in the whole time until, you know, the coach finally put him in. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. So, <laughs> well, we get to the end of 
the Julia and, and Marina aspect of this story. And you know, Marina's got what she went for, but she's clearly not happy with Julia's performance and, and that she and Katie went behind her back because they didn't trust her. And I would say they had good reason not to trust her. Well, he might not wake up, but yeah, oh, well. So the yeah. first thing she does is X out those star tattoos and then apparently yeah. banishes her, which from a visual standpoint was pretty cool. You think break bills cool. cut you yeah. off from magic? You don't know cut off, but baby, you will. So, yep. so, so we're left with Julia out in the cold, so to speak, and with now nowhere to call home. So I really am looking forward to the next episode and seeing how her storyline plays out because, yes, she's the one that got Quentin in that situation in the first place. But listen, let's be honest. Marina didn't really need her to do what she did, I wouldn't think. I don't think she necessarily needed her. I think this was really kind of a test for Julia, and she failed again miserably she's really bad at test taking she should get an iep or 504 right um because you know like just her loyalty and and you know again not that she was being disloyal to marina but she was also showing some concern for her friends just as katie was doing you know katie was very adamant like this is wrong so we you know, we really wonder about where Katie stands in this whole thing because she really obviously dislikes Marina. You know what? What? What's the deal with her? I mean, obviously, we'll find, I'm sure we'll find out in some episode, probably not too long from now. Right. I mean, we know Katie has a history with Pete and Marina. We don't know what it is, but we do get the sense that she's not entirely comfortable with it. So, yeah, like you said, the the two of them and and what's going to happen will be interesting. Will Dean Fogg look at Julia and the fact that, yes, she was working with Marina, but still, this is maybe somebody that has potential and maybe we should get her on our side rather than leaving her out there, you know, in the clutches of Pete and Marina. So I, I really hope that's what happens. Uh, of course, she's going to have to go on a redemption tour, but that's okay. I think she can handle it. Right. But, you know, we, yeah. we talked about the, the story, the whole mental hospital as Quentin's reality. And, and, and okay, yeah, I mean, it was a little fun trying to, to figure out what's fantasy, what's reality, and, and, and you know, doing it right there with Quentin. And I, one of the scenes, I, I again, I, I really loved is when he goes up to the nurse's station and asks for tape. Uh, you're not allowed <laughs> yeah. to have tape. Really? It, it, it's tape. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I, I going to do with tape? How am I going to hurt someone with tape? You know? um, right. Yeah, there were some decent parts there, like – you know, the hiding his medicine and things like that. Uh, Penny ratting him out in his dream as well as in reality, you know. Uh, so and that's one thing, like his relationship with Penny, we can see them maybe defrosting a little bit as far as their relationship goes. Because Penny does help him out. And Penny does seem actually concerned 
with Quentin where, you know, maybe a week ago he would have just been like, listen, I don't care about this guy. I don't care what happens. If he stays sleeping forever, what's it bother me? But, you know, we see that there's – Penny's not as callous as he tends to appear, I guess. Right. And one of the things Fred brings up in his feedback is whether some of these situations that Quentin finds himself in in this dream state are his desires, his nightmares, or is it something that Julia is planting in there that that perhaps Marina needed Julia to, you know, keep the spell going, so to speak, to keep quentin active we don't really know i mean we certainly see the the scene when they're in the day room and alice is all over him and so is that a secret desire does he really want to get together with alice uh yeah i mean i I think 100 percent. it's his own mind constructing this because what does julia know about alice or penny right well, that's true. Or yeah, or Elliot, for that matter, right? She doesn't know really anything about them. I think that's, you know, Quentin's brain is constructing all that, including uh, pretty funny there, Alice's, you know, desire for him. Right. And, and I Which love, is not a thing in real life. Oh, right. Now, I, I love when Alice sits down and tells him, you came to find me, to save me. And we're thinking, okay, so is this... You know, is there more than one person in this dream, in this spell? And then when she starts mentioning that she thinks he's a starship captain, I was wondering if they were going to use any familiar captain's name, but no, they didn't. And (laughs) we we see Dean Fogg as one of the doctors, and the first thing I noticed was, oh, dude, your eyes look good. Then they go back to uh, uh, the way they were when we left him in the last episode but but i also like fog keeps getting a science fiction show wrong in uh i think alice mentioned something and he says it was in lost in space and quentin says no no no, that was star trek star trek but uh (laughs) yeah that was pretty funny i like that line right so you know that whole scene though where julia i guess has inserted herself in in to his nightmare she's still with james she's at yale appears they're getting married i guess this is all her attempt to just be cruel to quentin you know i mean as he told her i don't know if it was last episode or the episode before you know how i feel about you so she must know he was and maybe still is in love with julia so are all these things she knows will just hurt him you hurt me i'm gonna hurt you i I guess yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think so, for sure. So I think, like, so it seems like Julia does have some measure of control over, you know, what Quentin is seeing. But probably, I think, mostly what he sees is is being constructed from his own mind. Right. Now, I know you had to, like, the line that he uh, uses with Penny, and you probably have this for your your closing. Do you, do you pick your closing quote early on, or you, do you have a little list? I uh, just I, I have a, cross a couple. Them out. I, yeah, some uh, some we we mentioned during the podcast. Some I just uh, I, I I don't feel as much as others. So okay, well well you know when he he's just go for it, to, dude. He's talking to Penny and, and, and you know Penny the orderly, and, and then of course Penny in the real world shows up so that we see. 
Penny the Orderly and Penny the Magician. And, and of course, Penny the Orderly is, it seems uh, like he, he goes from a Jamaican accent to an Indian accent. I, I think they were going for the Indian accent the, the whole time. time. Yeah. Okay. And I love his reaction, uh, Magician Penny. God, what a racist motherfucker you are. Yeah. <laughs> and Quentin's reply, I uh, can't remember which order it comes in, but say, you know what? One thing that's consistent, you're a raging dick in yeah. any reality. Well, no, that's not, that's actually not his reply. He, he just says that earlier okay. um, to the Penny in the hospital, the, the orderly Penny. Um, I don't think he, yeah, they just said, you know, he just says, you racist motherfucker. And then right. that was just kind of like, yeah, and, you know, like obviously Quentin is, you know, hard pressed to argue that. Right. Right. And and then we get the Taylor Swift song that he uses to get Penny's attention. And of course it works. And then, hey, Penny, good luck getting that out of your head. So, <laughs> uh, you know, things are starting to happen and, and, and we get a sense you know we, we go back and forth that quentin is working to take himself out of this situation at the same time that dean fogg and the younger magicians are trying to you know do the same thing and you know we see that scene with his father uh, you know i don't know what that's all about i mean maybe nah, that was later crap. yeah i mean we haven't heard any anything about him having a bad relationship with his father as soon as he sees his father in the dream his first reaction is to go hug him so it it didn't seem as if there was anything bad there so i I guess because they had a good relationship this would be something that would really hurt quentin i guess but yeah like you said that was not a good scene i i don't think that was necessary i mean not that it was you know, untoward or anything like that. It just right. Uh, no, it just didn't it, it, work. Exactly. It didn't. It didn't work. It was, ex, you know, extraneous. Um, it might be, like you said. I'm sure they're probably setting up something. The story later that his dad will be involved, and certainly, probably, just uh, touches on you know Quentin's basic insecurities or anxieties. He, you know, like um, like a reverse almost Oedipus complex where instead of you know wanting to kill his dad he is you know afraid of hurting his dad um so yeah i don't know it you're right it it was it was no bueno now i I wonder if this idea of cooperative magic is going to continue into the next few episodes at break bills because clearly it's a thing clearly it's powerful and clearly someone who Dean Fogg, I think, would consider relatively untrained, like Julia, is able to participate in such a powerful spell. It just seems to make sense that we're going to explore that at break bills. And I guess it'll be interesting to, to see what happens. But you know, once everything kind of comes to an end and you know they're they're back at Marina's and katie's there julia's of course having second thoughts and i I don't know it just uh hopefully we don't have to wait to the end of the season to find out what the heck's going on with katie and pete and marina but i fear that may be i don't think we will i I think it feels like especially with katie 
we're, we're getting to a point of finding out what's going on. They, they, they've kind of, this episode, they really kind of revealed more of her role in the group, but we're still very uncertain, obviously, of her role because it's ambiguous. Okay. Well, what'd you think of Jane and the Fillery connection? Uh, you know, the whole thing where he like, you know, they, they figure out how to break him out. And then all of a sudden he's in some deeper prison of his own mind. Cause he just wants to hide. Cause he doesn't want to, you know, he's afraid of trying and being exposed. You know, you're I, the spider and the web. We create yeah. our own prisons. I'm like, uh, right. Okay. Right. Maybe, but, maybe know, not as bad a trope as the, the overall narrative device, but still. Yeah, it was just seemed goofy. And again, like, I don't know. It, it There might be, well, I'm sure, like the whole fillery thing, which I'm not necessarily crazy about as it is. Like right now, it seems like this whole thing with fillery, like, uh, you know, I don't know. But I'm sure it's going to get to a point where it's going to be important to the plot and it's going to be significant probably you know like the last episode of the season you know i wasn't crazy about how they used it here okay i mean i still think they're going to explore the whole multiverse theory and and the dimension of of fillery and you know a lot of it does seem to appeal to quentin's feelings of inadequacy the real curse was that he only played when he could win and right i don't know that that necessarily you know is, is accurate when we look at quentin but but kind of you know we, we talked you know in a previous podcast i mean julia gets rejected so rather than give up she finds another avenue to to learn and i just i mean maybe his inadequacy still stems from the fact that you know he he doesn't have a specialty and nothing has been emerging at this point so yeah i don't know right well you know he came in thinking he was so special and then was told that he's not and so yeah i think he's just feeling having general feelings of inadequacy and he's you know I, I think so that then ties in with you know fog at the end with him declaring hey i need to learn this stuff so i'm sick of you know just following other people around you know teach me what i need to know yeah so all right uh anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about no i don't think so <laughs> okay um you want to give our grades now or listen to fred's feedback next uh, no I, i'm giving it a c Okay, I was going C plus, and All right. so uh, I think we're we're close. Um, and and I was uh, when I was talking to Michael, I, I said I think the last time I gave a C plus was the pilot for the forty four hundred. So <laughs> no, it's from a Christmas Story. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred has to say, and then we'll uh, talk a little bit about that. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians, Season 1, Episode 3. First off, I just listened to your podcast about Episode 2 and I heard your announcement that Baron Boadar announced that for Dark there will be a third season, but that it also will be the last season. 
I find this very nice to hear because we get an unfinished rounded up series and we have another 20 episodes probably to go for season two and season three. And because of the intensity of this show and how much of analysis you can do on the show, I think we all three like this series because of its mysteries and its puzzles you have. You can really play around as a Sherlock Holmes here. And another 20 episodes and the series will be round up is uh, very good news. Okay, second topic I want to address is that you offered your Patreons to do some episodes about their favorite movies or episodes of a series. And secondly, for the foundation level Patreon, you have the offer of giving a top 10 list, which you will discuss. And I have my top 10 list ready, which includes Gattaca 1997, the Divergent Trilogy, Divergent, Insurgent, Allergent, 2014-15-16, Avatar, 2009, Doomsday, 2008, Thunderbirds, 2004, and three series, and then the series as a whole or the pilot, Defiance, having three seasons between 2013 and 2015, Killjoys, having five seasons, of which the fifth season still has to come, between 2015-2019. And the tenth series is The Crossing, which sadly only had one season in 2018. Okay, third topic. In one of the previous podcasts, you were talking about Quinton and how you like Quinton. And Wayne compared Quinton with Connor Temple from Primeval. And that was very funny for me, because as soon as I started watching The Magicians, I immediately thought of the comparison between Quinton and Connor. And on the Facebook page, I provided a little picture comparison. And I think the analysis Wayne did in one of the previous podcasts, I fully agree on what you said there, Wayne. But he's not like a... um like Connor in uh, Primeval, you know? Oh, okay, right. You know, like, Connor was definitely probably the most, like, blatant, like, character created to, you know, try and, you know, become simpatico with the Star Wars fans of of the world. So Quentin's not as... He's certainly not there for any kind of amusement or comedic purposes because he's not funny at all. Last podcast, Dave, you were saying. If you follow Fred from the Netherlands at all, he he really likes to travel to the cities where a lot of these genre shows are filmed. And I guess they have organized tours that you could go to, I, I guess. And I can assure you there were no organized city tours. Everything I did in Vancouver, Toronto, San Diego was all organized by myself. What really helps is a so-called website called Movie Maps. And everybody can put locations in there where they know certain scenes from series or films are shot. So that really helps. But when I was in Toronto, for instance, it took me the whole evening in my hotel room to plan next day's journey and do it in a little bit of an efficient way so that you can go to certain locations that are close to each other, although they are from 
different episodes of the series. So in October 2017, it took me nine days for Orphan Black. So traveling through the city during the day and being in your hotel room in the evening with your laptop and all the episodes and finding out these filming sites. A very nice aspect of that is that you visit cities in a quite a different way and you see parts of the cities where you never would go as a simple tourist. And so it makes you get a real feeling about a city. It brings you to suburbs, it brings you to industrial areas, it sometimes brings you to some scary areas of the city, which is perhaps not that wise to visit. Last topic I want to address before going into episode four of the magicians is something that Wayne said last week, that he was not binge watching this series. And Wayne said... I have not watched ahead, have you? No, I haven't. And that's another thing about the show. Like, and I guess I've been watching like the OA and everything. So, you know, I haven't really, but I, I haven't really felt this really, you know, intense desire to, to watch ahead, Good. you know? So, which is, I guess Fred would ap- applaud that. No, Wayne, the fact that you are not binge watching is a very bad sign. So, although you think I could be happy with that, I possibly am not. But that's just because I know a little bit by now how you are. Okay, shortly going into episode 4. Not too much, because I took some time for other stuff. I think the makers did a very nice job with the first half of the episode. I really got annoyed, or actually felt... Quinton's frustration of what is true and what is not true. Am I mad or am I not? And is there a conspiracy against me, etc.? I really felt it. So got a little bit frustrated actually by it. So if you feel things like that, I think they did their job very well. It took a little long though, till halfway the episode, then it starts to become clear that it's not the reality and it's it's a dream or a spell. From the point that the real Penny walks into his dream, it becomes clear it is a dream. And there is, of course, a very funny scene where the dream Penny is uh, wiping the floor and is enjoying that he that they will get chicken curry in, in the evening and with a very Hindi accent. And uh, the real Penny says, you racist MF. And it's funny. I really wonder, actually, if Quentin is in this dream, is picturing people as Penny or as, sorry guys, Horny Alice. Or as Dad or Julia if it's something he would like people to be like that, or or is it just as it is? Okay, already eight minutes. I really have to stop. Greet all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Well, you know, one of the things Fred mentions, you know, last time I brought up the fact that dark 
came out and said that there's going to be a third season and that's going to be it. We still don't have a release date yet. Fred says that he's glad we have 20 episodes, but I believe I read that season two of Dark is only going to be eight episodes. So I don't know that for sure, but I'm almost certain I've I've read that somewhere from uh, a reliable source, probably on Baron Bo Odar's uh, okay. Twitter account or Instagram. But uh, but but certainly, again, Fred's enthusiastic as I think most Dark fans are for season two to drop. All right, so Fred mentions. You know, that that for a short time, we're left kind of in doubt as to what the heck's going on and, you know, that that he felt Quentin's frustration. And Fred, did you feel our frustration? So <laughs> I think so. He probably did. <laughs> OK. Now, he asks, is Quentin portraying Penny Alice, his father, as he wants him to be? Or is he? afraid that they'll be that way i i think maybe both i think you had a good realization about his father that that because he loves his father this is you know a, a great fear uh, because he is attracted to alice that's a desire so I, I think maybe it's all of the above that that some of them are directed by julia's knowledge of quentin some are just you know just inherent in quentin's thought process i i guess does that seem fair that's that's what i think i i think maybe julia had some influence on it but mostly it's yeah as i said before i think it's mostly uh quentin's uh you know subconscious that is at work here okay fred uh oh fred also mentions that wayne not binging is a bad sign yeah yeah that's not good yeah so uh anyway uh fred thanks for the feedback Uh, look fred my advice to you i I get the sense you're kind of like us just hang in there i'm told it's gonna get better and and look truth be told i have really enjoyed the first three episodes and I, i think i enjoyed well not i think i know i enjoyed them more than you did but right I think this one we'd agree just was kind of a dud and yes, it it does push the narrative forward. So I will give it that because now something has to happen with Julia, right? They can't just leave her out in the street. Right. I I, I doubt whether Pete has the power to override Marina. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that a few episodes ago, but, but now I'm convinced that, that she's the one, running things with the hedge witches so oh yeah absolutely and especially now that she has all her memories of break bills back uh you think that's gonna obviously she seems to be even more confident and powerful right so the question of what julia is gonna do i i think for me that's the most compelling question going into uh episode five so anyway uh anything else well just you know really quickly about julia's like you know, like Quentin, she's finally learned the the seriousness of, of magic and that it's not just something to mess around with, that there can be some very serious consequences. So, you know, now she knows that. Right. And I guess if you think about it in those terms, this could be the most important lesson any of them learn because, right. granted, Elliot and, and 
well, not Penny. Penny's a freshman as well. But but Elliot and Katie, I think, has been there for a while. So they've seen things, right? We've talked about the the junior class. There's only four of them left. So so clearly, some of the older ones have witnessed magic getting out of hand, and the the fact that that you have to respect it and. I think as a life lesson for a budding magician, it couldn't get any more powerful than what we see here. So, I mean, there are some redeeming points to the episode, but not enough to get it out of the C range. Nope. So, all right, well, we'll go ahead and leave it there and hopefully we'll come back next week. A lot more excited. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. But uh, all right. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about Hill House, which we recently finished. Travelers, uh, anything going on in genre television, encourage you to join the Facebook group. Get your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. If you're already a member, you can spread the word. Emails go to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can be left using the SpeakPipe tab, which you can get through the website, or you can just record your own the way Fred does and send it to us as an attachment. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion of The Magicians with Season 1, Episode 5, titled Mendings, Major and Minor. But until then... You know, I I, I actually, I, I do read some of the reviews, and unfortunately, yeah, you know, I get it, people. Okay, I realize that every time I talk, I sound batshit. 